Jesus going off to pray by himself. It's a familiar sight, especially here in the Gospel of Luke. Luke portrays Jesus not only as a person of action who casts his lot among the poor, who heals the sick, and who welcomes the outcast, but Luke portrays Jesus as a person of prayer. At his baptism, Jesus prays and the Holy Spirit descends on him in the bodily form of a dove. At the outset of his ministry, after news of his healing power spreads throughout the entire region, the crowds go looking for Jesus and they can't find him because he's off by himself praying. Before he chooses the 12 disciples, the companions and co-workers who will join him in bringing about the kingdom of God, He spends the night on his knees in prayer before God, asking for discernment about who those twelve should be. When he takes James, John, and Peter up the mountain of transfiguration, he is praying when his appearance changes. In the story that we read just a couple of weeks ago, when the 70 missionaries return from bringing about the good news of the kingdom of God, they tell Jesus all of the amazing things that they did, and Jesus prays giving thanks to God for all that they have accomplished. As we continue to make our way towards Jerusalem in this season of Lent, we are just a few weeks away from where Jesus will pray in deep anguish and lamentation just before the soldiers come to arrest him and take him out of the Garden of Gethsemane. As he hangs on the cross in the moment of his greatest personal suffering, the moment where he perhaps felt the furthest from God than at any other point in his life, Even there, Jesus prays. He prays for forgiveness for his enemies, for those who are crucifying him. Jesus is a person of prayer. It was a necessary part of his life. And I'm not sure that Jesus could have engaged in the sort of ministry he did if he had not had that constant and consistent rhythm of prayer in his life. The disciples have been watching Jesus as he prays. They want to know his secret. Teach us how to pray, they ask. And I hear that question not as, what should we pray, but how should we pray? If you're looking for formulas from Jesus, you're probably looking in the wrong place. And of course, we have turned Jesus' response to that request into a formula. We call it the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And we pray it here every week at the end of the prayers of the people or on Sundays like today where we celebrate communion. We pray it during our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with reciting this as a a rote and, and reciting this as a prayer on a regular basis. These words are a beautiful prayer to God and they have a lot to offer us. They are a source of immense comfort to people who are going through a difficult time. But the Lord's Prayer was never simply meant to just be a recited formula alone. It's a response to that earnest request, teach us how to pray. The disciples are not theologians, at least not in the professional sense. They're not looking to write down some abstract theology of prayer. They are followers of Jesus. They have witnessed his close and intimate connection with God, and they want to know how to have some measure of that in their own lives. Teach us how to pray. That could easily be our own request, couldn't it? It's one of the simplest and most basic parts of our spiritual lives, and yet at times it can be one of the most difficult. And that's true for pastors as well. 
I read a survey conducted of 860 Protestant pastors, and they reported only 16%, one-six, were satisfied with their personal prayer lives. I saw a comic recently with a pastor answering the phone while laying in bed and a parishioner on the other line saying, I know it's early, pastor, but I figured you'd be up praying. It's easy to think of pastors as overly pious and holy figures, but we are people just like the rest of you who at times in our lives struggle with prayer. Teach us how to pray. If I could go back to when I was first ordained, fresh out of seminary, and Jesus allowed me one request, this would have been my request. I would have asked him, teach me how to pray. I went to Princeton Theological Seminary, a very academic seminary, and there were a lot of things that they did really well. We read the giants of theology, people like Karl Barth and John Calvin and Paul Tillich. I learned how to parse Greek verbs and recognize what exactly was I looking at when I read Hebrew letters. I could write essays for exams that explain the the controversies over the minutia of Christian doctrine over which blood has been spilled and people have been excommunicated down through the centuries. But prayer? There was little time for prayer. Of all the things I didn't learn in seminary, prayer is one of the most glaring and blatant. And then I was ordained and I became a pastor and suddenly everyone was asking me to pray. Pray before coffee hour, pray on Sunday, pray to start the committee meeting. Lord, teach me how to pray would have been my most earnest request in those first six months as a pastor. We all struggle with prayer at times, pastors and laity alike. None of us know how to pray as we ought, Paul says to the Romans. And that's why the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Teach us how to pray. It's an honest request, isn't it? Because there are a lot of ways that we could pray. Most of you probably know by now that I grew up in the Chicagoland area of Illinois, and and because of that, I am a passionate Chicago sports fan. I grew up in the 90s when Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls were winning championship after championship. And during that time, Michael Jordan made a movie called Space Jam. Space Jam was one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid. It's sort of a silly, goofy movie, but I liked it a lot as a kid. I still have a lot of nostalgia for it. And so in that movie, there's a group of space aliens that want to kidnap the Looney Tunes. And so the Looney Tunes challenge them to a game of basketball. The problem is that the, the aliens are too short to play basketball. And so they come up with a plan. They go to an NBA basketball game and they steal all of the talent of five NBA basketball players without them knowing it. So players who used to once be the best in the world all of a sudden can't even dribble the basketball. One of those players is a famous one, Charles Barkley. And there's a scene where Barkley is in a church praying to God, asking to get his NBA skills back. And his prayer to God goes as follows. I promise I'll never swear again. I'll never trash talk again and I'll never go out with Madonna again. (laughs) Bargaining with God. We do that a lot, don't we? We try to, to strike a deal. It's like we think if God does something good for us, then we owe God one. It's like we're trading favors. God, heal my family member, and I'll go to church more. God, give me this job, and I'll stop yelling at my kids so much. Is that how we're supposed to pray? 
Is God a cosmic scorekeeper? Is there a heavenly scale that is in constant need of balancing? Is God a really good accountant keeping track of favors coming in and favors going out? Or is prayer, like when you're a kid and you're writing out your Christmas list, is it just a list of demands? When we pray, are we to treat God as some sort of cosmic Santa Claus or a benevolent but distant grandfather who is just doling out gifts but has no real connection to the rest of our lives? When we pray, is it a one-way street where we are the only ones talking or is there room for silence and meditation in prayer? Should we even bother praying? If God knows everything already, what's the point of praying? I've heard that one several times throughout my life. When we pray, is it about us changing God or does God change us? Lord, teach us how to pray. The paradox of asking Jesus any question is that he can be immensely frustrating in his lack of a direct answer. We saw that last week in this interchange with the legal scholar about a question of who is my neighbor. And we see that again here today, that Jesus doesn't give a direct answer, but he does give this beautiful story to help us to understand. In response to how are we to pray, he tells us this story. He says, A friend arrives at your house after midnight and he bangs on your door. He's in a pinch. He's got an unexpected out-of-town guest and he's got nothing to give him. Can you spare three loaves of bread, he asks. Now, I don't know if you can imagine yourself in that situation, but if someone knocked on my door after midnight asking to borrow a cup of flour, the dog would start barking, the baby would wake up, and I can think of the things that I would say to such a neighbor. Maybe something with a little sharper edge than the man in this parable. The door is locked, the children are in bed, go away. Kenneth Bailey, the late Presbyterian minister who lived in Lebanon for 40 years, said that this sort of response in the Middle East would be almost unheard of. That despite the children being in bed, despite the door being locked, if your friend needed to save face with an act of hospitality, of course you would get up to help them. But notice what Jesus says. He's not going to get out of bed because he's your friend. He's going to get out of bed and help you because of your shameless audacity. Because of your shameless audacity. In response to the question or the request, teach us how to pray, Jesus says, pray with shameless audacity. Ask, seek, knock, Jesus says. Knock and the door will be opened for you. What would it be like to pray with shameless audacity? I think some of our greatest difficulty with prayer is that we struggle to be honest. We as Christians have struggled mightily with this one, I think. I think we are far too worried about being respectful to God or worried about hurting God's feelings, whatever that might mean, than we are with being honest about what we need. We struggle at times to be honest about the pain that we have experienced, to be honest about the hurt that we are going through. We're not honest about our fears, and we're not always honest about the things that we truly hope and dream for, for our lives and for those that we love. Contrast that with the people we meet throughout the Bible who aren't afraid to be honest with God when they pray. The Psalms, the the prayer book of the Bible, is filled with the, the shamelessly audacious prayers of the people of God. 
they are honest with God about their struggles, their suffering. They complain and tell God about how God let them down. God didn't do what they, God promised to do. They implicate God in issues of justice and injustice. Even Jesus, who spent his life in prayer, was honest with the God he had this deep connection with. Take this cup of suffering, he prays. Take this cup of suffering away from me, he prays, in the Garden of Gethsemane. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He prays from the cross, echoing Psalm 22. There's a story from Jesus' life where he's walking through Jericho and a, a blind beggar begins calling out for him and, and Jesus stops and asks the man, what do you want me to do for you? I think Jesus knows what the man's about to ask, but he leaves space for the man to ask it. One of the most meaningful conversations that I had when I was a student chaplain was with one of my Jewish patients who had been dealing with chronic health issues throughout his life and he had just received a terminal diagnosis. And he told me that at one point in his life, he went out to the Princeton University football field and just screamed at God, told God exactly how he felt. Shameless audacity. And we are only able to pray with such shameless audacity because there is trust that the God we offer such prayers to actually hears us. If the man who had already put his kids to sleep and locked the door is willing to listen to the shamelessly audacious request of his neighbor, how much more is God willing to listen to ours? Which of you parents, Jesus says, which of you parents, if your child asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give them a scorpion? If we imperfect human beings are able and willing to respond graciously and generously and lovingly to our own children, how much more can we trust that God will respond to us in an exponentially greater way? To pray with shameless audacity is to trust that God hears us. It's trusting that God is not sitting before a divine scale, ready to balance out our requests with bargains and deals. There is not a scorecard in heaven because God is not a scorekeeping God. God is generous and loving, and that generosity and love overflow from God into our lives. Trust is, is being completely open and honest in our prayers. The God who created everything that exists, everything that we see and can't see, is big enough to handle our deepest questions, our most painful wounds, our most explosive anger, and our deepest longings and dreams for our own lives. So when you pray, ask, seek, knock, and trust that the door will be opened for you. Prayer is perhaps the one place in our lives where we can be completely and fully ourselves. The place where we can be vulnerable without the fear of judgment. Trust is leaving space for God to respond to us. It's knowing that we don't always have to be the ones talking. In the silence, we trust that God is still on our side and God is responding to us. Lord, teach us to pray. Don't hold back, Jesus says. Ask, seek, and knock. Pray with shameless audacity. Whether you are praying for yourself, your family, your friends, or whether you ask, are asking that God's kingdom would come, a more just and equitable world, whether you are praying for your daily bread, whether you are praying for forgiveness or just a chance to, to shut your brain off and rest for the night, 
Whatever you are praying for, pray with shameless audacity, trusting that God hears us and that God loves us and that God's love and gracious overabundance are flowing into our lives. Thanks be to God. Amen.